Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show. We've got a great show for you today. Our guest is is a, 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 a really solid American patriot that uh, I'm honored to get the opportunity to bring him on. The, the title of the show is Military Leader Chooses the Country Over His Love of the Army. Leadership is doing what's hard, not what's easy. It's not focusing on yourself, but it's always looking to take care of everyone else under your command and even those not under your command when it's necessary. Leadership's not only understanding moral courage, but having it when the deck is stacked against you. Leaders set the example for others to follow, even their superiors. My guest today is one of those leaders. He stands separate from American military officers like the ones currently the most senior in the U.S. military. Brad Miller is a former 101st Airborne Division Battalion Commander, U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel, who gave up everything when he said no to the military's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Brad, welcome to the Rob Mana Show, my friend. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a real honor for me to be here with you today. Well, it's an honor for me to, to have you on. And uh, when I read your story, I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, uh, finally, there is a person sitting in the command seat uh, that can talk about the issues he was concerned about and why he made this, this decision. And, and folks, folks, Brad's decision, uh, uh, I don't like to make things about money, but just to tell you, just show you how, how devastating it, it is personally for somebody like that. Most folks at the 05 level, it's Lieutenant Colonel, uh, have a family. Uh, they're coming up on the 20 year point, many of them. Uh, and uh, and uh, usually they're they're doing well if they've stayed that long. So uh, uh, so when you make a decision to leave the armed forces and not take your retirement, you're talking we're talking about millions of dollars in uh, in benefits and pension and health care and those kind of things that retired military folks, especially later in life, rely on for that. Uh, so it's a big deal. But the bigger deal. I think is why, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about today, Brad. But first, how are you doing, man? Uh, 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 how are things going in the new year of 2023? Uh, you look good. I like the beard. I had yeah. one not too long ago. My wife, every time I grow one, she talks me into taking it back off. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm, I'm doing great. You know, happy new year. We're a couple of days in. I mean, I I feel great. Now, that does not mean that uh, there have not been hardships does not mean that I'm under no stress. I mean, I am under a little bit of stress mm -hmm. in the, the wake of the decision that I've made for some of the factors that you laid out. So I'm not going to say that everything is, um, I'm not going to say that when you do the right thing, it will not come sometimes with consequences. I mean, sometimes doing the right thing is hard. And, and you know, we have to understand that sometimes just because you do the right thing doesn't mean that things will immediately get better. Sometimes, you're, you know, there are going to be some challenges you got to go through. But overall, yeah. I'm doing great. Very happy with where I'm at. Very happy with the decision that I've made. I've never regretted it, not for a, a single a single moment. And, uh, and I'm optimistic about where I go from here and then also where we go from here. Well, that's good news, especially about the uh, where we go from here. I'll be honest, I'm not real concerned about uh, about you personally, because uh, you you are a hard charger. If you were a lieutenant colonel and a, and a battalion commander in the United States Army in the 21st century, uh, you're going to do well at whatever you choose to do. Uh, it's the where we go from here 
Uh, and, and I want to, I want to, I want you to take the audience through uh, the thought process. You know, my my first real question is uh, is uh, you mentioned in one of the articles I read uh, that uh, that the DoD and the COVID narrative, both on the outside and the inside, it sounded like to me uh, of the military, they rang untrue or false to you. What sure. about it uh, struck you? Uh, that what were those details that struck yeah. you that 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 really started your mind to thinking I'm going to have to really look at this. Yeah, so I was very skeptical from the very beginning, and that's that's not because I immediately put all the pieces together. No, not at all. But I was very skeptical about what we were being told. And if I were to tell you specifically about what I was skeptical about, I would say largely about two things as we moved kind of from early 2020 into mid and then late 2020. Uh, and then on into 2021, as they started getting ready for these uh, these injections to roll out. But with COVID itself, I was skeptical about two things. One, the origin. I think plenty of people have started to become more and more skeptical about that. And then two, the, the amount of deaths that actually could be attributed to COVID. Those are the two points where I was the most skeptical. Yeah, at the time we were really seeing uh, 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 these death numbers uh, being put out there by various public health organizations and governments at, uh, around the world that, that didn't make any sense to me when I, mm -hmm. when I started really digging down into the data. And I'm a, uh, as, as you probably are, uh, and all of us that were military commanders are, we're, we're driven by data. I mean, the yeah. first decision I make when I'm making a command decision is, uh, do I have data to look mm -hmm. at? Uh, so I could spot weak data yeah. pretty easily, even in a data set that I'm not familiar with. Uh, and I'm sure you could too. Uh, and I'm still not convinced that the number of deaths attributed to this virus mm -hmm. were caused by the virus itself. Sure. Quite frankly, I just I'm just am not there, uh, and uh, it's gonna. I don't know if they'll get there in my lifetime, but someday, some researcher or team is gonna figure it out and uh, and be if they can get the right data, uh, which is only facts based, yeah. you know, because right. there's a lot of political uh, stuff being driven here. Uh, so it so it started out with you like it did with a lot of us, mm -hmm. you know. I was like, you got to be kidding. I mean, this is not. It's not real. I mean, at first when I heard about it, I was like, okay, you need to quarantine the cities. You know, uh, uh, when I was a vice wing commander, I was in charge of the, of the uh, flu pandemic response in 2009 uh, and uh, for the base that I was at uh, in Nebraska. And I remember that uh, one of the immediate steps is if you have major cities that have an infection flaring through it, the, the best thing to do uh, to contain that in the short term is to, is to close that city off. Uh, traffic in and out of the city, both by air and ground and water and everything. But nobody would do that in our major cities. And that's when I started scratching my head. I go, okay, something's not right here. It really isn't right. So what about, uh, you also said that the values of DOD senior leaders were uh, misaligned with yours. Yeah. What did you mean by that? How, yes. how, how specifically are they misaligned with yours? 
Yeah. So I wrote that in my resignation letter. So, um, so as we moved further into 2021 and just for the audience and many of them are aware, but just to remind them just to set the timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, so I took command of the battalion in June of 2021. I was relieved in late October of 2021. So I was only in command for about four and a half months, right in the middle, the end of August. That's when the, on August 23rd, 2021, that's when the FDA supposedly approved one of the uh, COVID-19 vaccines. Now, I, I think there's plenty of evidence that shows that there's more to the story there. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless, one day later on August 24th, the Secretary of Defense then implemented the mandate. So at that point, that's when the shots were now mandatory. Up until then, yeah. depending on who your commander was, they were anywhere from very encouraged to potentially highly encouraged to potentially highly encouraged with the foot stomp, but mm -hmm. they were not mandatory. Um, but at, at that point, August 24, 2021, moving forward, they were now mandatory. And now all across DOD, you're having commands move forward officially to um, order all individuals who at that point still remain unvaccinated to get vaccinated or face some sort of um, you know, repercussion, which could lead to eventual mm -hmm. separation. So anyway, so moving forward, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting pulled in two different directions because on the one hand, I'm a commander yeah. and orders go through command channels. On the other hand, I'm a refusal. And I had told all my soldiers when I came in to command, I said, I'm, I don't care what kind of pressure you receive from the top. You will not receive pressure from me to take the vaccine against your wishes. If you choose to take it, I'm not going to I'm not going to try and dissuade you. It is entirely right. up to you. And then as we got closer and the writing was kind of on the wall and I really thought that the mandate was uh, right around the corner, I really started to tell my my unvaxxed populations, you have to have a plan. You have to understand what you're going to do. If you're if you decide that you're going to change your mind and you're going to go take it, your decision. Yeah. But if you're not, just understand you're going to have to have a plan. So then a couple months later, I was uh, I was relieved, of course. And then um, later, I realized that the Army had just written a directive that said um, as of July 1st, 2022, the Army will have a fully vaccinated force, except for a very, very, very small number of, uh, of exemptions and everyone else will be out. And so in lieu of being separated, I decided to resign. I wrote a resignation letter up to a human resources command and it contained that verbiage in there. And I specifically wrote that because at this point, at this point I knew that the, uh, the mandate itself was illegal, that there was a, a whole switch with the, the Comirnaty product and discussions mm -hmm. about legal distinctions, just an entire shell game in, in my mind. So and did I, you ever, let me stop you right there and ask that question because, because I'm, a, I'm on the board of advisors for an organization called uh, uh, Stand Against uh, Racism and Radicalism uh, or Stand Together Against Racism and Radicalism in the services, uh, stars.us, that we took this on, the mandate on, and, uh, and the leadership of that organization has been, was working with the folks that got the COVID mandate dropped in the NDAA this past time. So... So, so you were well aware as a commander that the FDA approved vaccine was not available even though, and that the mandate letter, the order from the Secretary of Defense said it had to be the FDA approved version, correct? 
So one one just uh, a timeline of clarification there. I was not aware of that as a commander. I probably became aware of that. Okay. I would say around the new year, so roughly a year ago, and I'm and I'm estimating. Okay. But um, when I was still in command, and I and I wrote a rebuttal for the uh, the letter of uh, reprimand that I received, I didn't even include that in my rebuttal because I was not aware at that time. Now I certainly believed that the mandate was unethical. I thought it had all sorts of problems. I thought it was entirely misguided. Mm-hmm. I believed that there were sinister purposes behind it. But I probably would not have used the word unlawful at that time. I will now because I was not aware of the uh, what I'll call the Comirnaty shell game. And I know you've had other individuals on right. previously who have spoken about that. Yeah. Fast forward a couple of months and I was continuing to do a lot of uh, my own research into what exactly was going on, how we had gotten here. And that's when I learned about that. So okay. as a commander, what's still in command? No, I never brought that to the attention of uh, of my higher commanders. And then even even later on, as I was resigning, mm-hmm. um, I never even really had a chance. I never even really had an audience with my uh, with my higher commander to even be able to discuss that with him, partially because um, he was deployed at the time, you know, the okay. the, the general. But um yeah. He certainly wasn't seeking any audience with me on my way out the door either. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing, but it's deadly serious. He should have been seeking an audience with one of his his uh, commanders because commanders are uh, in the officer corps of all of the U.S. services. Uh, the people that are selected to command, especially at the battalion level, in your case, squadron level, in my case, are, are selected uh, based on merit, yeah, you know, or at least they used to be. Anyway, and that merit, ha- I mean, that performance, your performance has to be very, very high performance to be even in the pool of people that can be selected in- to command. There's probably a hundred more like you that are that are out there that don't get picked. So he ought to have been asking you, uh, and, yeah. and and that's unfortunate. That's disappointing, is what yeah. it is. That's so he, he and I had a conversation one on one. Sometime in August of 2021, it, and if I remember correctly, it was right before the mandate was mm-hmm. implemented. But when we had this one-on-one conversation, uh, and it was, it was very cordial, it was very, very respectful in both directions, mm-hmm. but it was very much an issue of two gentlemen who are both commanders. Now, one's a two-star general and one's a lieutenant colonel, sure. who were on opposite sides of an issue, but the general's on the same side of the army as the army and the lieutenant colonel is not. And we know how we know how those struggles go, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, but then once I was actually relieved, and then a couple months later when I was actually putting in my resignation paperwork and then on my way out the door, I, I never had another another audience with him, um, which I, I would have liked to. At one point, I thought we were actually going to do um, kind of a counseling session via, via VTC. It got mm-hmm. scheduled and it got unscheduled. Um, but I actually was was seeking that audience with him, and then at some point it was just like, okay, this is this is uh, this is not going to happen. So, so just for for timeline's sake, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, you uh, you made a decision after the mandate to mm-hmm. not take the vaccine, right? Uh, after the order was given, uh, right. did you talk with your troops? Yeah, so I, I, I talked with them quite a bit. Um, one, so all my entire battalion knew my stance on the issue. If okay. for no other reason, Good. something like that just can't be hidden. 
Right. And so the uh, the line that I tried to walk was in my professional capacity as an officer and as a battalion commander, I'm not going to tell any, I, I will not tell anyone to not take the shot. I will leave that right. entirely up to you. Uh, that's kind of my command responsibility, my officer responsibility, et cetera. But my human being responsibility and, and even also as someone who has taken an oath to the constitution, I mean, if I believe there are violations, I mean, this is where it gets extremely tricky. And so the way that I decided to navigate this was I'm not going to tell anybody to take the shot. I'm not going to tell anybody to not take the shot. If a specific individual wants to come talk to me behind closed doors and mm -hmm. ask me my own personal opinions or tell me about their specific case, by all means, I'm happy to receive them. And I did have uh, very, very junior soldiers who came and sought me out behind closed doors in my office and either ask me specific questions about what I thought, and I told them, or mm -hmm. um, or they would tell me their specific case and, and why they were so concerned in their particular case about taking the vaccines. And when I say when I say junior soldiers, I'm talking, you know, a, uh, a private, you know, what we would refer to in the enlisted world as maybe an E2, right. maybe an E3, a private first class. Okay. So you're talking about a soldier maybe with 18 months of service potentially. Mm -hmm. going into their battalion commander's office who has 18 years of service. I mean, this is for those that don't necessarily understand military structure, mm -hmm. even if you're an approachable commander, and I'd like to think that I was an approachable battalion commander, it is no small thing for a very right. junior soldier to go seek out the battalion commander, even, even for a positive reason. Well, know? and that's why, that's why I want, I, I want to go into uh, detail. I wanted you to go into detail about your communication with your soldiers while yeah. you were in command because you were in command when the mandate came down. So, yeah, so as a correct. commander, I mean, you're, you're, you're really in a spot yeah. uh, at that point. Uh, and, and it is a big deal for an 18 year old PFC private first class uh, to go see their battalion commander. I mean, I, I had uh, E ones uh, through E fives uh, mm -hmm. in my squadron, and it would be a big deal for one of them to come into the office uh, and close the door to have a conversation oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. It's a huge deal. Uh, yeah. So, so, so when you, when you, you were still in the seat as a commander when the mandate came down, right? So you had to execute that. Yeah. So, and this was, this was tricky and, and it certainly, you know, I'm on both ends. I'm getting pulled in two different mm -hmm. directions now. So the way that I chose to navigate it was, and, and my, my two higher commanders were very well of my, very well aware of my stance. You know, I, I yeah. mentioned, the general, so that would be the division commander. He was my boss, mm -hmm. two levels up. He and I did have that that one conversation behind closed doors in early August mm -hmm. of 2021, okay. and then I, I never had another one-on-one -on -one conversation with him. Um, okay. But my direct higher companion or uh, commander, which would be the brigade commander, a colonel. I mean, he and I had routine conversations about this, and to his credit, he never he never gave me any grief before the mandate. He never gave me any grief after the mandate. He very much knew my decision. I'm sure he disagreed with it. I think he was even a true believer in the in the shots. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe to some degree, he even respected me for my resolve. But um, but I also don't think he necessarily tried to go to bat for me with the division commander. I mean, I'm, I have no evidence that that happened either. You know? Sure. So do you think that uh, understanding your, your interactions specifically about the issue uh, weren't, weren't that many? Uh, above yeah. the, the uh, brigade commander, but but do you think that from the brigade on up and most other most of your colleagues 
battalion type commanders were like, hey, it's an order, we got to get it done. Uh, is that where most people were coming yeah. coming down? Yeah, I, I would say thing? you're you're going to have a range of, uh, of opinions, but even within that range, they're all going to be on the side of those who believe, hey, this is an order, it's lawful, it also makes perfect sense because COVID really is a readiness threat and these shots are safe and effective. So that would be, you know, one... I think there were people who really had that. I mean, they were true believers. And then you'd have mm -hmm. the others who were like, uh, I had not get, I had not gotten it up to this point. Now that it's mandatory, I will go get it. I do believe that the, the order is lawful, even if I don't necessarily personally agree with it. DOD is a big organization. They don't necessarily get everything right, but I'm still going to comply mm -hmm. and I'm going to order my subordinates to comply. So I think you probably, I think most people were somewhere in between those two positions. Yeah. And then you may have had others that still complied, but they much more begrudgingly apply, uh, complied. Mm -hmm. And maybe even in the year or the, you know, the 14, 15, 16 months since the mandate was implemented, mm -hmm. maybe they've even started to wake up and realize, hey, this was never as it appeared. And for those individuals that are still in command, like my peers who mm -hmm. took in command the same time I did, yep. I don't know where they're at now. I mean, I, I, I don't know why they're not speaking up and saying, Hey, listen, I was a true believer a year ago. I went along with this and, and totally agreed with it. Mm -hmm. But now I realize that we were not told the truth about a lot of things. And now here I am as a commander. I can't continue to go along with this. I wish more yeah. commanders currently in the seat would be thinking and talking like that. But I, I don't see any evidence unless there are conversations that are happening behind closed doors. And there may be. Mm -hmm. But where's the, the, the action that ideally would come from that? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 curious now uh, a after we've learned all of this and and the mandate's been removed, uh, been been mm -hmm. taken out of the military uh, by force, really by congressional force, which is the right entity to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that there are not commanders and and first sergeants and sergeant majors yeah, yeah, stepping yeah. up and going, "Hey, this order wasn't really lawful because." I mean, on its face, it's not lawful. The, the order, the order uh, uh, as it was written uh, may have been lawful, but the execution of the order made it an unlawful order. Is what, it's what five or I think we're up to six courts now have said uh, that. Uh, in addition to the, my next question for you is, mm -hmm. uh, still as, as a commander, uh, in addition to the exemptions, uh, and, and the process of the religious exemption, specifically, uh, uh, the uh, many military or commanders broke the law, uh, mm -hmm. and there is some discussion in the courts that that the political appointees in charge of each service put a direction out to the to the stars and said uh, face to face and said there will be no uh, religious exemptions or or minimal religious yeah. exemptions at the very beginning before one was even filed. Yep. Uh, which is illegal. That's a, that's against the law now. Yep. Uh, so, so if you're still in the seat, did you did you get pressure from above about religious exemptions or medical exemptions and how that process was supposed to work, or any guidance at all that would lead you to believe that that uh, these blanket decisions were pre-made? Um. So I, I never got any direct guidance where somebody tried to to push me in a in a in a direction um, with undue pressure. No, but okay. 
that may have happened after I was already gone. I mean, you know, I was relieved within two months of the of the mandate being implemented, and mm -hmm. a lot of this litigation continued onward. And and for some people, you yeah. know, it still continues now. So maybe there's some that happened after I was already out of the seat that I did not see. But no, my direct commander never never did anything like that. Okay. But there was there was already talk at higher levels. I mean, we were already hearing it that um, that basically any exemptions that were approved would just be you know token approvals here or there, just so that it wouldn't be a 100 percent you know rejection. And then there was also talk about, uh, and, and some of this is anecdotal, but there was also talk about that those that were being approved were mm -hmm. people who were headed out of the service in a couple of months anyway, which means you're approving someone's exemption, but it's a problem that will solve itself in four to five or six months when mm -hmm. this individual retires or for some other unrelated reason, you know, leaves the service. Yeah. When I first started looking at the religious exemption uh, deal, after I heard from a, in a court briefing that mm -hmm. the secretary of the air force had called all the stars into the Corona meeting that they have uh, a couple times a year, uh, at the, uh, and, and told them point blank, there will be no religious exemptions. Uh, it, it looked like that changed where they had to do some, but the air force was so blatant about it. Yeah. Most of theirs were people that were already, already had their papers, either retirement approvals or, or enlistment termination, yeah. you know, those kind of things were on terminal leave, a lot of them, uh, and those kind of things. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, uh, uh, I was just curious uh, if you had anybody put in for a religious exemption while you were still in command and, and if you were, how you interacted with that process, if at all, or, or right. if you saw anything weird with the process. Yeah. So, and I, and I didn't, but part of that was because of, of how quickly I was removed. And so, um, when we, so, so the mandate occurred at the end of August, but it wasn't uh -huh. until the first week in October that we had kind of started to collate all the data together for the individuals mm -hmm. in my battalion that still had refused. So, you know, mm -hmm. these things kind of, I mean, they take some time administrative process to occur. Yeah, so the first week in October, uh, now I'm submitting my battalion's packets to the brigade. And uh, those, some of those packets would have included exemption requests for either okay. medical or, um, or religious exemptions. But, about two weeks later, I was moved out of the seat. So I, mm, I, I would yeah. not necessarily have seen what the outcome was for those. But in those, um, one of the exemption requests that was not present was, uh, was my own. So I, I never put in for yeah. a religious accommodation request. And, uh, and my brigade commander, I specifically remember him texting me and saying, hey, Brad, I'm looking at your battalion's paperwork here. I don't see your religious accommodation request. And I texted him back and I said, Hey, sir, I was going to do one. And then at the last second, I decided against it because I'm not looking for an exception for me. And uh, I think this should be rescinded wholesale. I mean, I'm not looking for, you know, partial partial exemptions here or there. And, and the other thing with me specifically, there are two reasons why I didn't put in for an, a religious accommodation request. One, I wasn't looking for an exception for me. And as a commander, because I might have been mm -hmm. able to preserve my seat you know, my, my position as a commander, if mine had been approved, now maybe it wouldn't have yeah. been approved, but if it had been approved, well, I'm still in command, which means, yeah, I've got an exception in place. I'm exempted, mm -hmm. but my command, I, I'm still in a position where I still have to continue to be the face of this order vis-a-vis -vis my own subordinates. I was not comfortable yeah. with it. The other reason I did not want to put in for an accommodation request in terms of, you know, religious accommodation request is because in my mind, the way I saw it was, well, yeah, I do have pretty significant religious objections to this, but 
it's almost like if you're asking for a religious accommodation request, you're almost already accepting that the shots may be safe and or effective. Mm-hmm. You just have problems with maybe the the research, the development or the production or whatever. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to grant that they are safe or effective. So it's like I almost don't even get to the question of how the research was conducted to create them or or uh, et cetera. I'm not I'm not even going to concede that they're safe or effective. So those. That's my view. That's why I specifically right. chose not to put in for a religious accommodation request. Had I done that, it's at least possible that I could have, even if I didn't win, and even if, if the ex- exemption never got approved, I might have been able to stall long enough potentially to hit the, uh, the 20 year mark. I mean, that's, right. that's possible. It is, but I see the conflict of interest, you know, I mean, uh, I'm going to have to command people uh, after I've got my exemption uh, and, and, and they may not even get theirs approved. Yeah. Uh, number one, number two, you've got to be in that process, uh, being able to make a, an objective decision on whether to forward something or not. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, the, the Department of Defense puts you guys in a very, very tough ethical uh, and uh, conflict of interest position. It's it's incredible. Uh, I mean, at first, it's understandable about the readiness issue. I could see it. We saw the carrier. I think it was the TR carrier battle group that had a bunch of people get sick. I'm still not convinced that that, yeah. that was uh, uh, the the COVID-19 itself was the issue there. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because the, I haven't seen the data, uh, and uh, and with the data shenanigans that's been played by the Department oh, yeah. of Defense on the on the DMED data, the medical uh, database on the adverse effects. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever see uh, actual data on either COVID or the vaccines, uh, quite frankly, that we could trust from any yeah. government uh, entity in the United States, unfortunately. And that's, and that's a sad, that's a very sad thing for somebody that served for over three decades of their lives in the United States Armed Forces and mm-hmm. commanded at, a, at the 06 and the 05 mm-hmm. level. I mean, it really is sad uh, that we're where we're at because the leaders in the institutions are destroying the institutions as we speak. and. Uh, on that issue, uh, the uh, how did they remove you from command, Brad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was um, so I was suspended from command on October twenty second, twenty twenty one, and I was uh, suspended by my direct hire commander, the brigade commander. Okay, he shot me a text in the morning. It was a Friday morning. Hey, Brad, I've been told I gotta I gotta suspend you today, and so I'm reading the text. It's, it's maybe 8.30 in the morning and I'm reading mm-hmm. the text and I'm thinking to myself, well, I mean, am I suspended as of reading this text? Is, is you know, <laughs> reading, is, yeah. does this mean, you know, as of time now, I'm, I'm suspended? So anyway, so I text my boss back and I'm like, hey, sir, I understand. Remember, this is not a shock to me. I'm not at yeah. all surprised. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, and I say to him, hey, I was going to speak to my battalion today. There are a couple of things I got to clean up today. Can I have till the end of the day? And he said, yep. Hey, no problem. Uh, just come by my office at the end of the day. So it was a Friday. We were going to cut the troops, um, cut them early a, a little bit, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. at uh, in the mid-afternoon, we were going to – I had actually already told my command sergeant major, I want to speak to the battalion on Friday, which we would do at Friday formations maybe twice a month. I would bring everybody in, mm-hmm. just you know, in a big informal circle around me after the formation, and I would just sure. kind of, you know, just informally put out some notes from the battalion commander – to the troops and entertain any questions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we did that. 
it was the final time that I ever spoke to the battalion and I told the battalion, Hey, you guys have known all along where I stood on this. And, um, I told you I was probably not going to be in command much longer. And this is it right after this, I'm, I'm going over to the brigade headquarters to go get suspended. So I went over there. I was suspended by, by my brigade commander. It was very informal. We sat down. Um, he was, he was super cool with me about it. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I didn't agree with the fact that I was being suspended. I mean, I still think it's wrong, sure. yeah. but he was, very, very professional. I mean, we were, we were, I mean, we were in there. I don't want to say we were lighthearted about it, but it was just kind of, I thought it was absurd. It is what it is. I had accepted what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. We we were not going to freak out about it. And then I remember thinking, okay, I'm being suspended by the brigade commander because I will be relieved when I get formally relieved. That will be by the division commander. That was my thought process. Mm-hmm. That did not happen. Uh, Two additional weeks weeks later, maybe three weeks later, I uh, I received an email from the brigade JAG informing me that I had been relieved. So I was, in a sense, I was relieved via email, but wow. I received that email 18 days after the formal relief had occurred. So I was suspended October 22nd. I was formally relieved October 28th. I received the email November 15th. The November, the email that I received on November 15th had a memo from the division commander dated October 28th, informing me that I was relieved effective immediately. But I never I saw gonna, it. I was just going to ask you, because the JAG ha- folks, the, the Judge Advocate General, military lawyers, they have no command authority to put in place or remove commanders. Uh, so. Correct. <laughs> so, so, so here's what's happening here is. Watch the rest of this interview on Red Voice Media Premium using the link below. Completely uncensored and ad-free. Not a member yet? Try it for $1.